I feel like it's been a calling for a number of years. In 2013, I remember driving and I just got this download and just said, you need to start talking about mental health. And I started bawling in the car. And I was like, there's no way I'm not going to talk about this. This is embarrassing. I had a lot of depression. I have a lot of suicidal tendencies. I never talked about it publicly on my platforms. And even then I didn't do it. It was still like this gut feeling I need to, but I'm like, no, no, not ready. And I don't think in 2013, people weren't talking about it, especially as a leader to be seen. I felt like people would look at me and think that I couldn't be trusted. Hello, and welcome to the Mindfulness Experience Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Fiveson. We're an official media partner for the Wonderland Miami 2023 conference. That's November the 9th through the 11th. Uh, get a 20% discount off the registration. Use the code mindfulness20. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with a truly inspirational figure in the mindfulness and personal development field. Our guest is Danny J. Johnson. She's a TEDx speaker, podcast host, and expert in starting over. She is also one of the moderators of two panels at the Wonderland Conference, and we're thrilled to have Danny J. on the show to discuss her incredible journey and her impactful work in the industry. Please welcome Danny J. Hey, 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 Danny J. How are you? How's it going out there? It's going good. It's going good. West Coast is getting a little bit of fall now, so it feels nice. Oh, it is nice. I, I like the cooler weather a bit, uh, you know, when it starts getting, but you're in Nevada. So is it, it's, it's a little chilly out there, right? No, I'm in Southern Nevada. I'm in Vegas and it gets like 115 in the summer. So right now it's finally just in the 90s and 80s. So it's starting to cool off. Oh, okay. Well, well, yeah. come, the, come the winter, uh, we'll be thinking about Nevada. So, <laughs> yeah. No, winter is so amazing here. November and December are so beautiful in the desert, but yeah, the summers are pretty intense. Uh-huh. Now you now let me ask you, you've had quite a journey and you know, you've been a TEDx speaker, you've got uh this incredible podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got started uh in working in the areas of mindfulness, personal development, and you know, just how you got to Wonderland? Yeah. So kind of, you know, my story, especially in personal development starts pretty far back. Um, I grew up in Las Vegas actually, and my dad was a compulsive gambler. So perfect place to have that, um, <laughs> have that happen. And when I was eight years old, my parents got divorced. I mm -hmm. stayed with my mom. We moved to the Bay area to live with my grandparents mm -hmm. and my grandmother was really big into personal development. So she was listening to these tapes like Dennis Waitley and Wayne mm -hmm. Dyer. Mm -hmm. And so she kind of got me onto some of these things. And my mom went to, I guess she went back to school and mm -hmm. she was taking a self-esteem class and she'd come back with all her little things that she was learning um, and make me do affirmations. So I'd be doing all these silly things like, I like myself, I like myself. That's and she'd true. make us say affirmations before bed. Mm -hmm. And my parents ended up getting remarried to each other. Three years later, we moved back to Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. And during that time, my dad still had relapses and things like that. Um, but I was, uh, I was a gymnast and I had a lot of struggles with family stuff. And I ended up getting pregnant in high school mm -hmm. and I was really suicidal. I was actually suicidal before I found out I was pregnant, um, just through a series of traumas and, and I don't know, life, I guess, and being a teenager. And I ended up going to a mental health um, facility, basically an inpatient facility. And that's where I found out I was pregnant. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And the first thing I said was, I'm going to have an abortion. Like, I'm going to kill myself anyway, so I don't care what happens to this baby. Like, it just, and it was so matter of fact, no emotion to it. I was just so done. And um, I was in the mental health facility while I was there. I was making phone calls. I scheduled the abortion, and I was ready to do it once I got out. Mm -hmm. And the day before I had the abortion scheduled, I had a meeting with a another inpatient facility for eating disorders. I had been struggling with bulimia. Mm -hmm. And my parents were in one room talking to the facilitators and they put me in another room with some lady. And I just, you know, arms across my chest. Why am I here? This is so stupid. And this woman just really broke through to me. And she started sharing me, uh, sharing with me her story about her sexual abuse and just her struggles with her eating disorder. She was anorexic and she was probably 27 at the time. She was pretty young, although older to me. And she said she wished she could have another baby, but she ruined her body from the anorexia and she couldn't have any more kids. Mm -hmm. And I just blurted out, I want you to have my baby. And she was like, what? And I think even in my head, I'm like, what? Mm. And I just said it again. I said, I want you to have my baby. And so I left and I went back to my boyfriend. I said, I'm not going to do the abortion. Mm -hmm. Like I want to give this woman our baby. Wow. And so Long story short, um, she ended up not being able to adopt. She called me when I was about four and a half months pregnant, just found I, I was having a girl. Mm -hmm. She was bawling. She said, I can't adopt the baby. It's going to be $50,000 for private adoption and we mm -hmm. just don't have the money. And so I was left with this, like, now what do I do? You know, it's too late for an abortion. And and mm -hmm. I ended up finding out that at this time, this was in the 90s, um, 97, that they started doing adoptions a little different you know back in the 50s and earlier they'd send a woman away she'd have the baby they'd take the baby right after birth the mom would never see it never know what happened and oftentimes they didn't even tell the baby they were adopted they would just mm -hmm. lied and said your parents are your parents and maybe they would find out the secret later and so i did not want that to happen i was like there's no way she doesn't know and i need to know where she's going like she can't just be snatched into strangers so i ended up finding a family for her and this is called semi-open adoption where we can find the family and have a little bit of contact until she was three and then after age three no contact mm -hmm. and so that was kind of the solution and it was really that moment when i gave birth because during my pregnancy i still thought i'm, I'm still mm -hmm. gonna kill myself after i have the baby i'm done and when i held her i remember looking at her and thinking oh my god like what if she grows up and she asks about her birth mother and finds out I committed suicide and she th thinks it was mm. her fault. Mm. And that was like my big turning point moment of I have to stay alive mm. and I don't know what to do. Like I didn't have any what I want to be when I grow up or any big dreams and aspirations. But she gave you purpose. She gave you Yeah, yeah. She, she really did. And she really saved my life. And so mm. that was this, you know, now I got to figure out what I'm doing with my life. So that was a big turnaround. So graduated high school, graduated college, and just was looking for something to do, honestly. And and this is like this mental health thread is going up all throughout this and the suicidal mm -hmm. tendency thread. Because then when I was 21, I graduated. Mm -hmm. I did what any great college grad would do. I ran off and joined the circus. Mm -hmm. I got a job at SeaWorld as an acrobat. Mm -hmm. And within a few <laughs> months, I ended, up, I ended up paralyzed. I love that. Um, I was paralyzed from the water. I got this bacterial oh, infection. No. Mm -hmm. And again, it was like back to this cycle of why am I here? If I can't walk, if I can't do this, you know, if I can't do this job, I might as well be dead. Mm -hmm. And I spiraled again down this, like, I shouldn't be alive. And one of my best friends at the time, she was 18. Um, she'd just been diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. and she was going through chemo and I had gotten out of the hospital. She came to visit me and I just remember I answered the door in a walker. I was starting to be Mm -hmm. able to use one, one leg. And she just looked at me and she was like, Danny, I can't believe this happened to you. It's so unfair. Mm. And I'm like, I, I was shocked because she was looking at me saying it was unfair that I couldn't walk. Mm. And I knew she basically had a death sentence on her head. Mm-hmm. And that was one of my other big turning points of going, mm. I am being a, like, frankly, an asshole. <laughs> you know, I like I've been given the second chance at life. I'm not going to die. And mm. yet I'm sitting here thinking I can't do anything. And I remembered what I went back to was like all my grandma's stuff, gratitude mm-hmm. practice. Mm-hmm. And I was 22 by this time, 22 years old, 20, 22, 23. And I was like, okay, I got to go back to this gratitude, like this Wayne Dyer stuff. And it was, instead of being like, oh my gosh, everything is bad happening to me. I'm like, I'm grateful that I still get a chance to live. And instead of being like, I have to go live with my parents and I'm 22 years old, Mm -hmm. I'm grateful that I have somewhere to go and I have people Mm -hmm. to take care of me. And so it was just these little shifts. And of course it didn't happen overnight, but it was just these little shifts over and over. And Ultimately, I, I rehabbed myself back to health mm-hmm. and I was so excited. And I think this would probably happen to just about anyone. When you can't walk, the only thing you want to do is walk. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I will never take this for granted again. And I got into fitness and I ran a marathon mm-hmm. and it just turned into this whole like fitness mm-hmm. world. So mm-hmm. I became a personal trainer and just started helping people in fitness. Mm-hmm. And this was one of those things that I took to such an extreme Mm -hmm. that I ended up really damaging my body. My adrenals were shot. Mm -hmm. I, within about five years, I was competing on stages. I was doing like national figure Mm -hmm. competitions, which are like bikini bodybuilding kind of shows. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, I wrecked my body, just pure stress, adrenal fatigue. I ended up gaining like 30 pounds within two months while I was doing quote everything right. You know, I was doing cardio. I was working out two hours a day. And looking back, I'm like, well, duh, that was the thing that was killing you. So, um, so you were I, competing, yeah? <laughs> yeah. So I, my body just was shot and I had to do something different. And for two years, I was struggling trying to figure out this, uh, you know, why is my body rebelling against me and my body is the enemy. And finally, I just surrendered and I just gave in. I'm like, I'm not going to work out. I'm going to eat carbs, you know, I'm going to do all the things that in my mind were being lazy. And I just remember so specifically, and I have all these like pivot points in my life where I ate a giant bowl of spaghetti at 10 o'clock at night. (laughs) And it was so, I remember this so well because I hadn't eaten carbs after four o'clock or after Mm -hmm. seven o'clock for probably seven years. Mm. And I remember getting on the scale the next day and it didn't change because what was happening was I was doing extra workouts, extra like just cutting calories and I was gaining and gaining and gaining. And so I'm like, fuck it. I'm just going to do this, like eat the spaghetti and see what happens. And I didn't gain weight. And I'm like, that's interesting. Hmm. And so I went down this path of just learning to listen to my body. And eventually it took about two years to really heal, but eventually with rest and time and just Mm -hmm. really Mm -hmm. caring for myself, the weight started to fall off and I started to feel better. And so I really had to shift my business because I was training people. I was a personal trainer and I thought, I just don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to hurt people. And I started to talk about more of the things that I learned while I was kind of recovering from adrenal fatigue. I was reading this book called Working Within 
or working out, working within, I believe mm-hmm. that was what it was called. And so because I had all this extra time, I used to work out two, two, three hours a day. Now I had two, three hours a day to do what, you know, my mind was just going. Mm-hmm. So I was reading, I was meditating. I was trying to find more worth and more value in myself outside of my body. And as I started to talk about that online, mm-hmm. I really started to attract a different kind of person who was more interested in personal development and growth. And kind of that was really my pivot of talking mm-hmm. about more communication and money mindset and mm-hmm. abundance and healing traumas. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I say I'm an expert in starting over was I've had just so many of these pivots and shifts. And it was actually during the pandemic. So I was speaking full time um, 2018 to 2020. And of course, we all know what happened. Lockdown started. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I had a calendar on the wall of the whole year and all the places I was going to be. I was going to be in New York and Mm -hmm. Austin and Paris. And suddenly I was getting these calls from these event coordinators saying, hey, we canceled our event. So I erased, Mm -hmm. started erasing. And pretty soon my calendar just opened up for the rest Mm -hmm. of the year. And I'm like, what am I going to do? And so I pivoted and um, my boyfriend and I, you know, we do a lot of digital marketing and Mm -hmm. we kind of just went that way. But I remember we were taking a walk and I just was crying and I said, you know, I'm not a fitness expert anymore. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be a money expert. I go, the only thing I'm an expert at is starting over. Mm. I'm like, do over Danny. And I said that was like crying and I said it out loud and I started laughing. I was like, mm-hmm. that is ridiculous. But I also thought, wait a second, it's true. And mm-hmm. all of us, every single person who is alive to become an adult will have to start over at least once and most likely multiple times, mm-hmm. whether that's divorce or moving or death of a loved one or a job loss. I mean, any number of things we go through this. Mm -hmm. And if I have gone through anything, it's, it's that it's starting again over and over and over. And the lessons I've learned along the way and the mentors who've helped me and the medicines I've taken and the things that I've come to is really what I feel like is for me to share now, because I really believe if we go through things that it's our duty to be a lighthouse to others because everyone's going to go through stuff. And for me, some of the things that got me through the hardest places was looking to see someone who had already been through it, mm-hmm. knowing if they can get through it, then so can I. And so that's kind of the long story of how I've gotten to where I am today. Well, it's a wonderful story. And, you know, it really is a story of perseverance and it's a story of sort of a uh, going through the dark night of the soul and in the dark night of the soul it can feel like you know the world is over and what kind of contribution can i make what can i do oh you know and i'm you know the old saying the only way through it is is through it and it sounds like you've gotten that as a really good understanding of going into you know it's the hero's journey you know, leaving the world of the everyday, then going down into the, you know, the, 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 the journey of fighting the dragons and trying to find the gold and then returning with a sense of renewed purpose. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful story. And, you know, one of the things that you've talked about is this idea of having a Jerry Springer life. And I think that's, I think that's a, a great, uh, you know, um, uh, idea. Let me ask you, how have your experiences informed your work in helping others to rewrite their stories and cultivate 
resilience, you know, and I, I do want to get you talk at the, you know, at the Wonderland conference and, you know, the panels that you're, you're moderating and what you're doing there, but maybe, maybe we can somehow blend them together in terms of getting that sense of resilience and getting that sense of renewal, you know, because yeah. in my view, let me just add that in my view, if you're able to change your story, you're able to change your life. So yes. please. Yeah, so I think the, one of the reasons is I talk about the Jerry Springer life is sometimes the the stories that I've had and because it's been so many over so many you know years, especially like the acrobat story, and you start to go this if it wasn't my life, I would think this was a, a lie, right? Like this isn't how can this even be possible? The other parts to my story too later on was. I ended up meeting my daughter in 2016. Hmm. A month later, my husband had an affair. And then three months later, I found out my biolog my dad who raised me was not my dad. I came from a sperm donor and I have probably 200 siblings. Hmm. And so it was like these layers of like oh. just over and over going, oh my God. And wow. I remember during this time between 2016 and 2017, literally, like I just felt like there's a dump truck with the universe just dumping stuff on me. I'm like, okay, just keep going. Just right, right. whatever else, let me know now because I am overwhelmed with all of this right. information and the identity shifts of not, you know, finding out who my biological father is and meeting all these siblings that I never, I grew up with one brother and suddenly mm -hmm. I have multiple sisters. And mm -hmm. so all of this has pushed me in ways that I've had to either succumb or grow. Mm -hmm. And so I've been down this path of like making myself, forcing myself into growth and finding the lessons. Mm -hmm. And I think that I've been through so many of the reasons why I can help people is because it's almost as if I can relate on any kind of level. You know, I can relate on someone losing, losing someone mm -hmm. close to them. I can relate on losing your identity, whether you probably didn't have your, find out your dad's not your dad, but if you lost a job or were unable to work because, mm -hmm. you know, like athletes, um, NFL athletes who end up injured, there's a big identity loss there mm -hmm. because it's like, this is who I am. And so I can relate to that. Um, so I've been put in so many positions that I can relate to so well. And I have such uh, deep empathy because it's almost like I've been there mm -hmm. that it's really helped me really look at what did I do to get out of it and mm. what were the skills I needed to either learn or have to develop that resilience. And those are the things I try to share. So, so, so just to stop there for a moment, because I, I think this is really important, you know, and what you're saying is that the story that you had was not necessarily the story that was your real story. And then coming to a recognition that, you are the one that's responsible for creating your story yeah. going forward. That's when you kind of said, okay, you know, if, if it's going to be, it's up to me, this is yeah. my life. I get to choose, I get to write the story. I get to go ahead and, you know, create the narrative in my life. It sounds like you, you just kind of at that particular point in time said, okay, yeah, this is, I'm going to, I'm going to have to take the wheel here. I'm not a passenger. 100%, 100%. And I think it's really important that we do, if we are stuck in something, mm -hmm. um, oftentimes we have a story that's looping that we think is the, like the way things happened. Mm -hmm. And I know now, you know, there's, there's your side, there's the other person's side, and then there's like, what actually happened, right? Like, right. I, I like to say there's eight, 8 billion realities, you know, yes. in the world, yes. you know, it's not just my reality, it's 8 billion realities. So. Yes. And I, you know, 
and I know this, we have a psychedelic conference. I think one of the things that these medicines can help us do is to see that other, like pulled mm -hmm. back view from another person, from another perspective. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just for example, um, when I found out my dad wasn't my dad, I had to literally rewrite my memories and thoughts about myself. I remember looking in the mirror because I thought that I, the only family member I looked like was one of my cousins on my dad's side, which come to find out I'm not even related to him at all. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, I wondered growing up, I don't, I don't really look like my dad or my mom. So I was just like, oh, okay, that's, you know, mm -hmm. genes are weird. But once it was made known to me, like I had to go back and go, oh, okay, wait a second. This isn't true. This isn't true. Mm -hmm. But the parts that are true was like, I still exist here. And my dad still is my dad. He raised me. And so mm -hmm. it was like an actual literal rewriting. But I think there are other pieces to where we can go back in time and say, like I obviously had a lot of money issues with my dad being a gambler and I had a lot of uh, scarcity around money and I had to go back and really rewrite my feelings around money and abundance and what does it mean to have money and, and not spend it. And so I think we we often get stuck in loops mm -hmm. and when mm -hmm. we're feeling stuck, that's a time that's probably somewhere where we need to go back and, and rewrite that narrative. And mm -hmm. that could be done through a lot of things that could be done through journaling, EMDR. It could be done through plant medicine mm -hmm. work. But I think it's very important if we're feeling stuck that rewriting your story is a very, very powerful way to mm -hmm. shift your narrative and your life. Well, you know, you you mentioned psychedelics and you mentioned, uh, you know, how that can help you. You know, I call it reboot, reset, reframe and how, how it can really give you a shift in terms of your understanding of who you are and, you know, what your connection is in the world. Can you sort of outline that a little bit more, maybe in terms of some of the uh, sessions that you're moderating, you're doing something on mental health and media and psychedelics and mental health in general. Um, maybe we can dive into that a little bit more to help people understand, you know, what is the role of psychedelics and, you know, how does that, in your view, how does it shift given the perspective that some people might have about media or mental health? Yeah. yeah. So one of the big reasons I really, um, Got excited about mental health. I feel like it's been a calling for a number of years. In 2013, I remember driving and I just got this download and just said, you need to start talking about mental health. And I started bawling in the car. And I was like, there's no way I'm not going to talk about this. This is embarrassing. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of depression. I have a lot of suicidal tendencies. I never talked about it publicly on my platforms. And even then I didn't do it. It was still like this gut feeling I need to, but I'm like, no, no, not ready. And I don't think in 2013, people weren't talking about it, especially as a leader to be seen. I felt like people would look at me and think that I couldn't be trusted if I had I admitted I had depression or I admitted that I had suicidal thoughts or I admitted I had panic attacks. Mm -hmm. And so this was like this slow, um, just nagging feeling. Mm -hmm. And in 2018, again, I, I've been off and on meds my entire life. I was on medication when I went to that mental health facility. My mom would always tell me, you're going to be on meds your whole life. Like this is, and she just dumped that on me as if that was mm. supposed to be my, like, this is the torch I have to carry. And so I rejected it. And there were many times I was, I would be on meds and then I'd be off because I just didn't want to have to. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I had this, my own stigma and feeling about being on meds, um, on not plant medicine, but you know, pharmaceutical medication. Right. Ten and numb you. Yeah. Yep. And in 2018, I was going through a lot. And for some reason, I just started having really intrusive thoughts. Um, 
I remember just walking on the street and I saw a car and I was just like, what would it feel like to just jump out in front of the car? Mm -hmm. And this was coming on a lot. And it was very bizarre to me because my life was doing pretty well. I was mm -hmm. had a lot of good friends. My money was bright. And this was one of the scarier times for me. And um, I asked my friend if I could borrow her car. There was a emergency mental health facility in Los Angeles, kind of like mm -hmm. a quick care uh, for mental health. And I asked her if I could borrow a car to go there and I didn't want to tell her why, but I did tell her and she goes, mm -hmm. well, let me go with you. So after we went, she said, do you want to talk about this on the podcast? So we have a show um, that's really, you know, it's mm -hmm. for personal development and it's mindset. And I said, absolutely not. I don't want to talk about this on the show. And she said, well, I think it could help somebody. Mm -hmm. And that was like me and my dagger. I'm like, Ugh. Mm. so I publicly shared these scary thoughts, what happened, why I went to the mental health place. And a friend of mine reached out mm -hmm. and he said, Hey, have you ever tried ayahuasca? And I actually had one time and it, I remember going to the ceremony. I took some, I threw up, I fell asleep. I woke up and nothing happened. I was like, I, I kind of wrote it off as like, this doesn't work for me. And he said, you know, there's this place in Costa Rica, you do it for five days, like you'll definitely have some mm -hmm. shift. Mm -hmm. So I ended up going to that place and what helped me was it started to open up the conversation around mental health and things I was mm -hmm. doing. And also, I think the the research into that, because for me, I was just looking for solutions. I was like, I don't want to feel this way. I'm not sure what's going on, but I, I know I don't want to feel this way anymore. And I started to just do dig into trauma research and dig mm -hmm. into so much mental health research. And, and one of the panels I'm doing is mental health in the media, because I kind of consider myself someone who's in the media. I have a podcast, we have over 2 million downloads and mental health in the media responsible reporting is one of the things that is really powerful for me and something I'm trying to come to terms with of how mm. uh, we share these things, right? So we have these indigenous cultures and these indigenous populations who are holding onto their medicine. And we also have this huge mental health crisis in America mm -hmm. and we have some solutions. right? But how do we share without destroying or really turning this into another big pharmaceutical industry where everyone's now just, and I've seen this happen where they're trying to like take the trip part away from psilocybin. Right. right. And there are so many things that are really tricky. And so I want to like, I, my life has been changed immensely by psychedelic medicine and through psychedelic medicine. However, and I want to share it because I want to help so many people. And yet I have to be so careful about how I share that mm. so that I'm not, you know, so we're not just having people come destroy everything that right. that has been built and just rape the the plants and rape the planet to extract these things that are helping people. So so we're doing a panel on mental health in the media, responsible reporting, and that will be really interesting. I'm very curious to talk to others who are maybe writing articles and who are on television and, and that kind of thing, because it's, mm -hmm. it's really tricky. And the other piece is, you know, we had the whole war on drugs and we also have to be careful because there is still a stigma out there. And mm -hmm. so you can't just necessarily go talk about how you had a trip because uh, people might think you're crazy and they think you're just a drug addict or a weirdo. So we also have to keep this standard of, and I think one of the reasons I like to share this is some, somebody might look at me and go, oh, you don't look like a person that I think would do mm -hmm. that. And I think that's very important. I think we need um, leaders and people who don't necessarily look like the, like you don't look like a burner or a weird hippie or something because it can help people who aren't that. 
Um, but there's there's a lot of nuance in the conversation. Right. And, and then I'm also doing a discussion on can psychedelics help those without mental health disorders? And I think this is also a really mm -hmm. powerful conversation because what if you don't have ADD or anxiety or depression or PMDD or something, mm -hmm. but you still maybe want to feel better. Mm -hmm. You still know that maybe there's something else for you, or maybe you're just wanting to um, dig deep into your spirituality. Is that okay? And I think that's a great conversation to have too, because we don't necessarily want to just say these are just for mental health issues and disorders. There's plenty of people who are partaking of these plant medicines mm -hmm. who maybe don't have history of trauma but they're getting something from the medicine there too right there's a, a, a connection with the ineffable there's a, a connection with ascension with trans transcendence uh you know and you started talking about changing your story and you know when we start taking a look at uh in my view from the society overall i mean we do have a um you know a challenge around uh community and connection and a sense of a higher you know a higher uh, uh, uh calling or a higher power if you will and i don't think that you know there's there's been a, a drop off in a lot of the religions if you will you know and i think people are looking for this you know the this this greater connection with the world with each other with the planet and you know it sounds a little woo woo but you know this is the this is the medicine that really helps them to un uncork their own you know their own sense of spirit and their own sense of connection so uh, that those are those are going to be wonderful panels I'm, I'm looking forward to i'm looking forward to hearing them yeah and there's you know in america Mm -hmm. We are so divided. I feel mm -hmm. like we have been more divided than other. The politics since 2016 has just been, mm -hmm. I mean, wildly interesting to watch, but also scary. And I, I honestly thought we were going to have a civil war during the pandemic. It was a little bit crazy, right? And I recently read, and by, by recently, maybe in the last six months or so, there was a MDMA study, healthy subjects, and mm -hmm. a man who was a white supremacist who took MDMA, mm -hmm. and he, he had this realization, like, what am I doing? And I, he basically stepped away from his role as, you know, leader of this white supremacist mm -hmm. group. And that's a great example of connection and how it can maybe shift our mindset and, and give us a sense of we are all one and we're all together. And I'm not saying, I mean, part of me in a really great thought experiment world would love to give all of our politicians mm -hmm. some MDMA and see what happens in sure. our world. Maybe we can get together. I don't think that's going to happen, but you know, back to, you don't necessarily need to have mental health disorders to do something. And maybe it can help us all become more connected or have better conversation. Mm -hmm. So that's just a, a interesting example of someone who didn't necessarily go in with a mental health disorder, but has some really positive outcomes. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you a question. Uh, as you start talking with people about psychedelics and you start talking about people about changing their lives and changing their stories, um, you know, I'm wondering what some of the common, you know, misconceptions are that people might have, you know, in whether or not it's applying mindfulness or applying a sense of, um, the ineffable a sense of gratitude i heard you use the word gratitude before and i really totally believe in a practice of gratitude because that's like 
gratitude's like prayer. I mean, it's like uh, just a sense of thank you for what I have. Thank you for, you know, the place I'm sleeping, for all of the things that, you know, I've, I've been blessed with. What are some of the challenges uh, that you've got and how do you address them in your work? Hmm. Some of the challenges I think come from mm-hmm. perception of, again, it comes back to identity. So mm-hmm. I have a lot of friends who are very much rooted in science and uh, and even atheism. So they're like, it, they have to be proven that things work. And if there's, they can't see it, it doesn't exist. And then I have a f- bunch of friends who are very woo woo and like, mm-hmm. I'm talking to angels and we're on the mm. five plane. So I kind of feel like I'm in this middle. I'm like a bridge between mm-hmm. I have friends who are super woo-woo. Mm-hmm. I got my friends who are very like rooted in in yeah. earth science and and mm-hmm. this is how things are. And I always say instead of woo-woo, I'm one woo. So I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm right in the middle. And I can see this side, I can see this side. Mm-hmm. And so one of the the issues I see, you know, at least from the like staunch mm-hmm. science side is like, show me how this works. And one of the beautiful things that's been coming out of a lot of research with breath work and mm-hmm. like just studying Wim Hof and what he's done and doing these studies is that it's proving that things do work. Now we, I've seen many even scientists take some medicines to where they were no longer atheists. Mm-hmm. They're like, I don't know what it is, but there's something, you know, mm-hmm. and I think there's also this thought of or, or fear of becoming somebody mm-hmm. weird, right? Like this side is maybe judging the woo-woo side, like I don't want to be that. And I think that we have to know that there's there's a big middle ground. There's so much gray, right? Mm-hmm. There's so much gray. It's kind of like politics too, the right mm-hmm. and the left. I, I'm like, if you actually sat together, you would you would realize that you agree on most things, mm-hmm. but we focus on the things that are so different. And so the biggest struggle that I have in trying to help anyone rewrite a story is Mm -hmm. they think oftentimes they think they're going to have to be a different person Mm. and you might become a different person actually but you don't have to be someone completely different than who you are Mm -hmm. right like i am very much a different person but i'm still really me inside and i'm actually a better version of me because i've been able to take a lot of the mess in some Mm -hmm. of my old stories and the stories i was telling myself about who i was and and just give myself compassion and forgiveness. And mm-hmm. and when you're able to even look at your own life and mm-hmm. say, like, I did the best I could and mm-hmm. I have compassion for that version of myself. Mm-hmm. Yes, you've changed, but that doesn't mean you've changed your identity. You've just become like a softer, more loving version of you. Mm-hmm. And I, in my opinion, a better version of you. But I think one of the struggles really is, is people don't want to let go of identities mm-hmm. and they have a fear of who they'll become if they let go of their stories. Like, who am I if I'm not... A victim in this story if i'm not if i don't have the story to tell then i've kind of lost myself and i think rewriting that sometimes is scary mm, yeah yeah i mean and and it's also you know uh and you put it really very very well you know if i'm if i'm not the victim then who am i what's my story how do i i don't want to be a victim but i have been a victim yeah. so then what you're saying to me is sort of like you know we're in the we're in a house with you know and we're in one room 
and through the medicine, through the ability to kind of unlock some of the thoughts and some of the experiences that we have, we get to see that, well, oh, we're actually in a house. Oh, there are these other rooms there. Oh, uh, oh, I can go here. I can go there. And I can really accept the fact that this is my house and I'm not just in that one room. You know, I use that as sort of the analogy here, but I, I think it's very, uh, very, very appropriate. And, and you've articulated it, uh, I think, better than I have. So, you know. I, I really like that analogy. I think there's just, we do just get really attached mm -hmm. to stories. And sometimes it's because it makes us feel uh, validated and heard and seen, mm -hmm. right? There's got to be a reason why we we hang on to stories that aren't serving us. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes like my, my husband had an affair and it felt validating to be the one who didn't screw up the divorce, right? I'm like, well, it wasn't me. It's his fault. But that really wasn't getting me far. It wasn't helping me feel better. It wasn't, it wasn't mm -hmm. fixing my broken heart. Mm -hmm. And when I was finally able to sit and look at what could I have done differently? How could I have shown up different in the relationship? Mm -hmm. And also what was he actually going through? And mm -hmm. instead of looking at him as like the bad guy, mm -hmm. having some compassion and maybe he was, was really struggling and he was really struggling and he was having a hard time. And that really shifted a lot of things for me. And I didn't need to be the victim anymore. I didn't need mm -hmm. to be mm -hmm. the one who was quote, right. It just, it was what it was. We were both humans bumping right. into each other making mistakes. And so it, really allowed me to just move on with life and become more compassionate, more forgiving mm -hmm. instead of, and one thing I didn't want to be was I didn't want to become that bitter middle-aged woman who was a man hater. Mm -hmm. And I definitely could have, I could have been like, all men are cheaters and they all suck and I don't, and I didn't want that. And so I think it feels good in the moment to feel like you feel justified. Mm -hmm. And I think something right now that's happening at least during the pandemic, I saw it a lot was a lot of the, the race conversations and there's a lot of anger and it's valid because a lot there's been so many injustices, mm -hmm. but I feel like we need to get through and past that because being nobody can ever really hurt the way you mm -hmm. hurt. Right. I wanted, I wanted my ex-husband to hurt the way he hurt me. Mm. But it didn't really help. I saw him finally hurting and I was like, this isn't making me feel better. Mm. And what we really need is more compassion. And I think there's a lot of that going on in our society of people who've been hurt, who've had a lot of injustices towards them. And so they want to lash out. Yeah. And the truth is that's not yeah. what's going to heal us all. And we have to find a different way and a different version. And we have to find compassion. And that's very, very hard as the quote victim. But mm -hmm. you have to be like the stronger, braver mm -hmm. one to be that one to forgive. Yeah, that's uh, that's wonderful. You know, I, I'm just reminded by of that quote, you know, hurt people, hurt people. And you can't, you know, walk through life, uh, you know, carrying a burning coal in your pocket because it it does, you know, the it, it only hurts you. The other person doesn't even though it's there for that matter. And, you know, this whole idea of compassion for yourself and i think you you know this gratitude exercise the loving kindness exercise you know all of those from a mindfulness viewpoint really allow you to again just breathe in let go breathe in inhale exhale just be present with who you are right now and that's okay you know it's okay to be present that's uh that's and it's so hard because that's where the by being present you really do get that gap between you know, stimulus and response, and you're able to make di different decisions. Um, let me ask you, you know, one of the, I, I just want to change the uh, topic for a moment. You've been to over 37 countries, and you've 
lived in an RV for a year. Uh, and I'm just wondering from your view, how do, how do, how does travel and these new experiences inform your personal and professional growth? I grew up in a family that never traveled. My parents mm -hmm. never left the two states, you know, Nevada, mm -hmm. California. I think we went to Utah a few times for mm -hmm. like a family reunion, but we never left the Southwest. So um, when I turned 19, a friend of mine, her husband was in the military, went to England and mm -hmm. uh, she invited me to come out. And mm. so I decided to go out there. And because I was on the other side of the world, I got a URL pass and I was able to travel, I think, between five countries. Mm, and so cool. I had this summer of just traveling to all these countries and my mind was so opened up because when you're in your own world, especially you're just not even leaving your own town, you think that's how the world is. Mm -hmm. And you leave. And I was also brought up in a very strict religion mm -hmm. too. So you think this is how people are, this is how they believe and you go outside of yourself and especially to another country mm. where they don't even speak the language and the grocery stores are different and how they buy things are different mm -hmm. and suddenly you're going oh mm -hmm. this is not the way the world is this is just where it is how it is where i am and i remember when i went home my dad goes well what'd you find out he's like america's better isn't it and he was you know very proud american and mm -hmm. you know from world war ii kind of people i feel like that's right. a bit mentality he's like why would you ever leave when we have everything here because i was sharing some of the things that were different and interesting you know it was like the shampoo bottles are small we don't have any costcos and big stuff mm -hmm. He goes, yeah, it's better here, isn't it? And I'm like, no, that's not the point. Mm -hmm. It's not better. It's just different. Mm -hmm. And so that first, um, that first travel to Europe really opened my mind to, we are not the center of the universe. I'm not the center mm -hmm. of the universe. The world is so big. Mm -hmm. And it really, really shifted how I thought about people and how mm -hmm. our perspectives are so different. Mm -hmm. And I met this woman. I was a, I worked at UNLV Outdoor Adventures in college. I took people on trips to like, Zion and Havasupai Falls and we did right. canoeing and there's a black woman we were taking to Zion and she goes black people don't camp and she she was all this attitude about what black people do and don't do and she was turning 30 that year and she said mm -hmm. the year I'm turning 30 every month I'm going to do something that mm -hmm. I wouldn't normally do so she was she went camping with us that one month and she said she was going to go skydiving and she was going to do all right. these things that right. Love that. Normal mm -hmm. for black people and I thought I was 19 at the time and I go, man, that's so cool. I love that she's doing this thing that she's turning 30. So then I go, you know what? I want to have a goal like that. I mm -hmm. want to see 30 countries before I turn 30. Because hmm. I got, the, I just came back from Europe and I had seen mm -hmm. six countries and she, she came and said she was doing all this stuff. So that's kind of how I started this travel. And what it's done is just brought in my perspective. It's made me really have a better sense of knowing that I don't know. Mm -hmm. Right. I feel like as Americans, we feel like we know so much. We got like we can really just have this attitude mm -hmm. of we know everything and realizing that I don't know everything for one. Um, my empathy can extend much further because of the things I've been through. But also, I don't know what it's like to grow up mm -hmm. in a third world country. I don't know what it's like to grow up as a black person in America. I don't know mm -hmm. what it's like to grow up as an adopted person. Mm -hmm. uh, russian girl mm -hmm. into america mm -hmm. like there's so many perspectives i don't understand and so traveling has helped me um just have a broader perspective and just be more aware you know when i speak mm -hmm. i try to be aware like i know i have my privilege mm -hmm. but i don't know all my blind spots and i think traveling helps me see more of those blind spots mm -hmm. it also helps me see how things can be different and you can come back and learn things from other cultures and bring them back here and go mm -hmm. hey 
maybe we don't have to be hustling all the time. Maybe we can take a nap every afternoon mm. from one mm-hmm. to three, which I do mm-hmm. quite often. You know, maybe we can. Yay for naps. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we can take some of these things from other cultures and use them here to benefit mm-hmm. us instead right. of thinking we have it all correct. Right, right. So it really uh, broadens your view of the world. You know, they say when you travel, you get to see the world and you never come back the same. You know, you never come back the same. So it really helps you to step outside of yourself, question yourself, uh, be a little bit more humble in terms of what your views are and what other people's views are. And maybe your view is not the only view that, you know, there is there are other views and we can all coalesce and, you know, work with each other and be present with each other. Uh, you know, we may not agree with other people and their specific views, but they have the right to have them, right? Yeah. And they have the right to live their life. So, you know, finally, I'm wondering as we start, you know, winding down in terms of our time, uh, what advice do you give listeners, uh, you know, who are looking to start their own journey towards personal growth and well-being? What would you, what would you tell them to do? To travel around? To go ahead and not be afraid to have new experiences what's your what's your view of that well all of those for sure Mm -hmm. but something i've kind of just i've been like mulling over maybe the Mm -hmm. last six eight months Mm -hmm. is microdosing joy so like Mm -hmm. we're in this plant medicine space and microdosing is this big topic and people are talking about it but i was caretaking my mom um the end of 2020 Mm -hmm. through 2021 and she had this son of bout with cancer and she had a brain tumor and I had to really fully take care of her. I was showering her and and feeding her and all of those things. And I was looking on YouTube at this, like looking for caretaker stuff. Mm -hmm. And this woman was a caretaker and she said, you know, everyone is a caretaker. They keep waiting for that big vacation where they could just take a break from the person they're taking care of. And that big, the big rest. And she goes, but Mm -hmm. what if there is no big rest? You need to learn how to microdose self-care. She said Mm -hmm. this microdose self-care. She's like, you know, you got to do little things every day to take care of yourself. And it was like this light bulb of like, yes, we Mm -hmm. do need to microdose self-care and we do need to microdose. We need these little sparks of joy in our day. And I was thinking about this because I was you know, stressed and there's so much going on in work. And I'm so I started to look for just little things every day. Like what are the things I could just, I could have a little laugh today or I can find some flowers or pet my puppy and like spend some time with her. Mm -hmm. And so sure there's these plant medicines out there, but we don't need medicine. We have the medicine within ourselves. Mm, And if we can find Mm -hmm. those ways to microdose joy every Mm. day, find those Mm -hmm. little moments of joy, we Mm. can elevate our own mental health. We can save our own lives and we don't have to look outside of ourselves for that. Wow. Wow. I'm going to, I'm going to borrow that, uh, microdose joy. I love that. I love that. So it's really these, uh, little moments of self-reflection, these little moments of gratitude, these little moments of seeing, you know, seeing the colors or breathing the air or feeling the breeze or just having a little thank you for the coffee you might have or whatever it might be right yeah, yeah that's, i just that's got chills oh. i i just i think it's the, it's those mm-hmm. like we're waiting again it's like what are we waiting for you know we're waiting mm-hmm. for the big vacation and the trip and those are amazing you know, i had a big mm-hmm. vacation this summer but then right. you get back and you're back to your normal life and mm-hmm. you know my mom was only 62 she didn't make it to retirement mm-hmm. and we can't wait for mm-hmm. the moment because the moment may never get here mm-hmm. so if we are doing these daily things that's I mean that's our life the, the little things are our life and so I yeah. I've really just been going by this mantra for the last probably seven eight months of just microdosing joy and looking for those moments every that. day I love that I I, I uh, used to always say and you know I, you just reminded me of a 
phrase I used to use, which is sacred moments of truth. You know, we're mm -hmm. all living these sort of sacred moments of truth. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the moment is, is that you and I are here. We're having this wonderful discussion around how do we become more present? How do we go ahead and live a life of joy and a life of presence? And, you know, at the end of the day, it's really unraveling the stories of trauma or the stories of, you know, upset and, you know, re recognizing that the story that we got may not be the story that is our story and then rewriting the story and creating your own, you know, beautiful, wonderful life. And it sounds like you've really done that. And thank you for sharing all of that with us, Danny J. I, I really appreciate that. I appreciate you. Let me ask you, how would people find out a little bit more about your work and about what you're up to? And, uh, you know, really kind of if they want to get a hold of you, obviously go to the Wonderland Conference if they want to see you. Uh, but how would people otherwise get a hold of you? I know you have your podcast and we didn't get into the Find Your Money Project. Uh, oh, okay. I, I, that's a whole other, that's a whole other conversation, but can you, can you give us some insights on that? Yeah. So you can definitely find me. I spend most of my time on Instagram. So it's mm -hmm. Danny J it's D A N N Y like a boy, the letter mm -hmm. J and then I spell out .com D O T C O M. So Danny J.com on Instagram, mm -hmm. or you can go to Danny J.com on, you know, a website and there are links there to find me, but I'm mostly on Instagram, sometimes pop in on threads. Um, I love to mm -hmm. chat there too, but you can go in my DMS. I, I respond to everybody there and I have a really good time. Um, and usually that's where I'm posting where I'm speaking or what I'm doing next. So that's mm -hmm. generally my spot. Of course, I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn and all the other things DannyJ.com across the board. But if you want to get a hold of me fast, just DM me on Instagram. Well, well, I'm, I'm, and, I've oh, heard, and the best life podcast. Yeah. Sorry. My podcast is called the best life podcast. And you can find that on Spotify, uh, Apple, you know, mm -hmm. all the places you listen to. Too. Yeah, and you've got over two million downloads on that podcast. So it's uh, it's uh, the best life podcast, and uh, with Danny J. And I just want to say before we go that you've really uh, touched me, you've moved me, and you've inspired me. So thank you for you know doing all that. I I really feel um, you know inspired by your story, and uh, you know I'm I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to hold it you know like a like a, a a wonderful little, you know, I don't know, a, a blanket. I, I have no, it feels, it feels like a, it feels like a, a warm cup of cocoa. Oh, you know, thank yeah, you. Thank you very well, I much. I appreciate you sharing me with your audience as well and mm -hmm. would love to just chat with anyone deeper if they want to talk about mm -hmm. you know, anything that I brought up on the show. Thank you. Thank you, Danny J, for joining us today and sharing your incredible story and wealth of knowledge with our audience. To learn more about Danny J's work, remember to visit her website at dannyj.com. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in to the Mindfulness Experience podcast, your go-to source for expert insights on mindfulness and personal growth, the sacred and the science, the medical and the mystical. Be sure to tune in the next time for more inspiring conversations with more Wonderland 2023 speakers, sponsors, and attendees.